Welcome to Outspoken Voices, a podcast by and for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer parents, people with LGBTQ parents, future parents, and everyone else who is part of our family journeys. I'm your host, Emily McGranahan, and I am the Director of Family Engagement with Family Equality Council. Some of my clearest memories of eighth grade revolve around the rights of my family and the fact that they were frequently debated on the news and in the classroom. In late 2003, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court ruled that my state's ban on same-sex marriage was unconstitutional. By February 2004, the state legislature met for a constitutional convention to debate same-sex marriage. If they voted to pass the amendment that would ban same-sex marriage, it would then go to a statewide referendum in 2006. Thankfully, the court upheld marriage equality in Massachusetts in 2004. So at that time, for the first time, people were openly talking about LGBTQ people and families on TV, on the radio, in the cafeteria, and in the classroom. Most of the time, what I heard from adults and my peers was infused with ignorance and bigotry. Most of the time, I tried to remain calm and share my story. Only one teacher in all my time at school ever tried to stop homophobic slurs. One. Everyone else was silent, so when I was fed up, I reacted. Mostly, I spoke reasonably and tried to educate others, and sometimes I snapped. Once, a student said something so horrible and offensive, and the adult remained so silent that I walked out of the classroom and directly to the vice principal. I share all of this because when our families and loved ones, their rights, their safety, dignity, their value are being debated or denied, it is harmful. Whether it's marriage equality, license to discriminate bills, or the right to just use the bathroom that matches your gender identity, children and young adults are hearing that, and more often than not, we're hurting. We're also protesting and speaking out and marching and just refusing to be silent. With me today are two fellow people with LGBTQ parents who have experienced what it's like when our families are up for debate, and they have spoken out. Kinsey Morrison is a graduate of Stanford University. She has been a civil rights activist since 2015 when she spoke outside the Supreme Court with Family Equality Council. Kinsey is currently the Chief Community Officer and Director of Recruitment with Lead for America. Maya Newell is an Australian filmmaker with a focus on directing documentary. Maya's film, Gaby Baby, was selected for Good Pitch Australia 2014 and premiered at Hot Docs in Toronto in 2015. I have to say I've seen this movie multiple times. It is absolutely fantastic. Maya was outspoken again and has been outspoken during the 2017 Australian Marriage Law Postal Survey, which ultimately resulted in marriage equality becoming law in the country. Both of you, welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, this is a question that I ask everyone as we get started. Uh, who is in your family and how was it formed? So Kinsey, would you mind starting? Absolutely. I have two moms, two younger sisters named Jillian and Tegan, and a dog named after a Broadway drag queen. So I joke that my family has more estrogen than Mitt Romney's binder full of women. <laughs> uh, I'm sort of joking, but really serious. And my family was formed partly through um, a sperm donor. My um, mom had all three of us with the help of a, a biological sperm 
sperm donor and um, IVF. Um, and then my other mom adopted the three of us after we were born. So both of my moms have been in my life my entire life. And that's been really, really special to, to really get to see, see our family from the beginning since I'm the oldest and, and to really see the love that they uh, have had for each other and, and for us. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, I am 30 right now and my, I've got two mums, Liz and Donna, who have been my parents since birth. Um, and I'm an only child. I think that's in part because, uh, in Australia, which is about maybe 10 years behind the States in terms of the, the age of our families, um, it was a very tricky time. Um, there was no support for, uh, families, uh, same-sex families to have access to sperm donors and sperm clinics. Um, and so it was a much more kind of relaxed turkey-based uh, situation for me. Um, and also my donor is actually a Japanese man who was a friend of my parents. Um, and I think in some ways in retrospect, um, the distance um, him living in Japan was a really amazing safety network for my parents, um, safety net for my parents who wouldn't probably have um, had the rights to um, to fight in a, in a court um, if he wanted parental um, rights. So, yeah, I suppose that's the way my family was formed. Um, and, yeah, I had two really loving parents, lived in an inner west suburb in Sydney and grew up there. And yeah, now I'm here. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So I know that we've all of us had some formative years or some of our adult years spent during almost surges in fights for equality and justice. What are the big political moments that were really impactful to you? And, and what are some of your strongest memories from those times? Yeah, yeah, of course. I think for me, Certainly the biggest moment was the National Marriage Equality Supreme Court case, but I think also the Prop 8 case in California really made me see how much the country could rally around our cause. I will never, ever forget all of the people on Facebook changing their profile pictures to the red equal sign. Um, I maybe that didn't change a single person's opinion who didn't believe in marriage equality, but how much that meant to a high school girl who still had trouble with always being completely open about her family in Kentucky, where I'm from, a you know, very conservative area in Kentucky, seeing all of those red equal signs on Facebook made the, a world of difference to me. And so I think seeing that happen during the Prop 8 case really made me brave enough to share our story in the national marriage equality case a few years later. So both of those moments, seeing our family stories at the forefront of American politics, and for the most part, really seeing a very positive reaction from the rest of the country in big ways and small, I think are the moments that, that I will never forget from my childhood and then going into adulthood. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that for me in a, in Australia, definitely the fight for marriage equality has been the most significant, um, yeah, overt battle in, in my lifetime that I have to remember. But I think, um, in some ways I'd like to go back because the concept of process, protest and resistance is such a, a common thread and familiar thread all, you know, since I was a child, I think some of my earliest memories are being 
hoisted up on Liz's shoulders and walked down the Sydney Mardi um, Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras parade, which runs down Oxford Street, down one of the main streets in Sydney. And at that time, it was an event which is kind of better than Christmas in our family. And this idea of protest and not just for our rights as a queer family, but also for the rights of the Indigenous people of this country and walks for reconciliation or, you know, the rights for children who are in detention or people in, in, in conflict, um, that's just been such a core part of my development as a human and I've got so many memories of, of fighting for our rights. Um, but definitely I suppose that thread um, that grew me up led to the biggest fight, which I actually had quite a big role to play in in Australia, which was the marriage equality fight where I really understood the, the depth of um, how hard it is to campaign and what our community has suffered, you know, over the, over the years because in Australia, as in America, it, it, it got very ugly. Yeah. Well, Kinsey, it was really interesting for you to talk about seeing a, uh, an outpouring of support through social media, because in 2004, when I was really becoming aware of of how extreme the debate could get about our families and our rights, there was no so there was no social media really that we were using. I mean, I wasn't finding uh, outpourings of like support on MySpace. So like, it is so different. And Maya, I'm really interested in Australia. Was that something that you noticed as well? that that people were sharing their support really visibly on social media. Yes, they were. In some ways it was an incredible uplifting experience to go onto your own social networks where your own circle and bubble of friends were sharing all of the beautiful message of com- messages of compassion and and community, but I think when our government set us up to against each other, mm. um, then you highlighting the the polemics and it gave license to the far right and to the the very conservative parts of Australia to just freefall, freeform with uh, abuse and very, very, it was a very traumatic time for everybody. So as soon as we stepped out of our bubble or, you you know, picked up the front cover, the front of uh, the newspaper or um, turned on the radio, um, the most heinous things were being said that I would never think that anyone could say out loud. Um, yeah, so it just sort of let loose this this war in Australia that uh, I didn't know we were capable of, to be quite honest. There was actually one, one tiny story is that uh, during our marriage equality plebiscite, there was a one of the children who I work with um, and their family uh, woke up in the morning to go to school, opened the front door, and there was someone that had spray-painted vote no on their house um, as a queer family, which is just horrendous. If you, you know, obviously that person knew that there was a family that lived in that house. Um, yeah, it was a very tra- traumatic time for a lot of children. Yeah. I have such strong memories of somebody saying like, I don't, I'm not so sure about gay people, but they definitely shouldn't have kids. Cause like, you know, think of the children, what would that be like for them? And I was like, uh, I'm one of them. I'm doing okay. And that was in kindergarten and it continued, absolutely continued from there. 
which then of course puts on an additional pressure that when people are saying like their default assumption is that anybody with LGBTQ parents is lacking or or whatever they maybe have dreamed up in their head. And so there was such a pressure that when the assumption was that I would be damaged, that I could never show any sort of cracks uh, in in anything to to be perfect. So I think it is so tied to that debate and that that idea that by discussing the morality and the capability of, of LGBTQ people to parent, you, know, you have to kind of be this exception to this perceived rule. I think that is something that absolutely resonates with me. Really, everything you said, I think I largely felt growing up too. I wanted to prove that not only were the kids of gay parents just as good, but perhaps even better, because I think you have to try twice as hard to be considered half as good. But the other thing I wanted to bring up, other than kids of LGBT parents feeling like they have to be perfect, is I certainly felt the pressure to prove that I was straight. That really shows probably the ingrained homophobia that I had growing up, even having LGBT parents that I felt that pressure, but also I think it is really true that um, many people who would ask me about my family in Kentucky, they would say, you know, well, did you having parents who are LGBT affect you for whatever reason? That was always the word that I would use. And I remember in one, um, one example, I literally pulled out a cross necklace as this woman was asking me this, I was trying to be subtle. I don't know that I actually was. And, you know, just was, went in to prove to her that I was, you know, the straightest, most well-adjusted person she'd ever met. No, it really doesn't make a difference. We're just like you. I remember I would always say, we're just like you. And I think one of the most powerful things as I grew up and became more confident and met other people with LGBT parents and sort of dealt with some of the internalized homophobia that took me a really long time to overcome, I went from saying, we're just like you to we're not just like you, but mm -hmm. we're yep. equal to you and we're just as good as you. And I think that shift and knowing that me being a good person and a compassionate person and someone who does want to fight for equality for families like mine, that is a reflection of the quality of my parents and how incredible they both are. But me being straight mm -hmm. has nothing to do with it. Yeah, I I absolutely, but what both of you say resonates with me as well. And, you know, from what I understand with so many kids with families like ours, um, and I don't know who actually termed it. I can't remember where we got it from, but it, it wasn't me, but this idea of poster child syndrome and that notion of just having to project a certain image for fear of playing into rampant prejudices of others. And um, certainly... I did that. Um, and it, it takes it takes a long time, I think, and it takes a society that is not constantly pointing the finger to which results in us constantly being on the back foot, constantly being in a defence position. Um, and as soon as that begins to shift, it creates space for us to tell different kinds of stories and, you know, not be ashamed to talk about it when our parents break up or if someone fights, you know, that's actually not the issue is not our parents' queerness. Uh, it's that we're humans like everybody else and our families are too. Um, I also think I had a bit of a realisation in working out how to depict our families when making Gaby Baby um, there's the kind of desire to bring that poster child syndrome into the making when you're really thinking about how to represent 
our families like should we just say you know we're normal we're just like everybody else we you know cooked a roast at dinner and you know what are the dramas uh, that I'm going to pick out in order to tell this story of our families Um, and I think I arrived at a place in between because I decided that our society especially in Australia we're actually not um, we needed a a story that was absolutely about connection and sameness Um, I feel like we're still in that first um, court but at the same time needed to acknowledge that this idea of normality actually ignores the qualities that make our families what they are families created out of courage and perseverance and you know love of uh, parents who went against you know society to make us and that's uh, they stood up for love and that's a pretty incredible place to start your journey in the world um Oh, I just wanted to make it easy to um, what you were saying about having a, the pressure to be heterosexual. Um, it's like absolutely my experience. <laughs> I'm just agreeing with both of you all the time. Um, but I also can laugh at it now because I remember my my thought process as like a young teenager and it was more like uh, like a fear of heterosexuality. I was like, I think I am heterosexual, but I'm not sure. It was like this, du- this fear of a life of... <laughs> you know, dull heterosexuality. (laughs) Oh God, please no. (laughs) One other thing I wanted to say, just based on your uh, point earlier about feeling like you can't say when your parents break up. I actually, I did that just now. My parents um, actually did separate after 25 years together. And my biological mom is now remarried. So the LGBTQ Uh, marriage equality case still really affected my family in a positive way, but it wasn't in the way that I initially expected. But even within the LGBT activist community, I frequently don't want to tell that story that way. And certainly not when I'm on a podcast uh, about LGBT (laughs) equality. But since you brought it up, I felt like I had to sort of be fully open about that because, you know, it's, it is not the sort of clean cut story that used to be of my family was together for multiple decades and now they can finally get married and happy ever after. It it is a happy ever after, but it's a little bit of a more circuitous path to that. But I think if I'm not open about that story, really, especially on a podcast like this, uh, then, then how can I expect other people to be open, especially in some of the most difficult uh, circumstances? Mm -hmm. So just a little clarification on my end. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I, completely understand that. So in 2003, 2004, while all of marriage equality is like finally being debated, I was out about my family at school. Most teachers knew to some degree, uh, or I had come out to them where I'm sure people were aware of it. And I remember teachers, you know, kind of hanging out in a teacher's classroom after school and then some, one of them that I was closer with finally asking me like, Hey, are your parents going to get married now? And at that time, it was like just a handful of months before my parents had broken up. And so all of a sudden, people were starting to become like aware of my family and like, hey, maybe you guys like have rights. And just as that was happening, like we were dealing with our own personal stuff at that at that moment. So it was it was very strange to be happening at that same time. And then because exactly like you're fighting so hard for your right to marry and like while my parents are breaking up and I was like, oh, geez, like, cause nobody, cause outsiders had such a hard time then of like understanding that. And that's that same reason that people initially when LGBTQ people 
getting divorced, you know, when that would happen, there was like an extra stigma around it for our families and for those individuals, which was so unfair because we're humans and, and you know, everyone is a human being. I think that the the truth of it is, is that LGBTQ parents, you know, screw up or fight or separate just as much as heterosexual parents. And in some ways, I think the truth of that kind of hurts because all in all of the campaigning that I was doing for family, family rights, um, I actually thought that the negotiation and trust between two people, you know, of equal gender on equal gender footing, I actually thought that made for better relationships somewhere. I was like, yeah, we do it better, you know? Um, but I think, you know, obviously we're just all human and, um, you know, it's probably equal. It's probably at the same rate as any other human and, and relationships are just as tricky and raising children are, is really hard for everybody. So do, all of this was happening. There were debates going on in all of our different states and countries and laws were being passed and pundits on, t- on TV and at school were talking about things. Did you have conversations at home to sort of like about what you might be hearing and seeing to sort of prepare you? Did you as a family really talk about, you know, what you were hearing and seeing? I think we did. And I think to some degree, we talked about it most of my life growing up, um, certainly in relation to, you know, my experiences at school and stuff like that. Um, But I think the most powerful conversation that I had with my mom during the marriage equality debate, to some degree, beginning with the Prop 8 case and leading up to the national marriage equality case, was her transition back into activism. She was, um, both my parents, when they were younger, were very much on the forefront of activism. My mom went to the March on Washington for LGBT rights herself. And then eventually she says... She got sick of fighting for her life and just wanted to live it. And I think we both sort of had this transition together of realizing that, unfortunately, that is not enough. And so during the national case, my mom um, did become more of a public activist. She was really scared, actually, about not necessarily losing her job, but losing donors at her job if we publicly became part of the national marriage equality case. But she ultimately decided that it was worth it because she wanted to make things better in Kentucky for other families like ours. And so it's been really cool to watch her over the years just become more and more vocal, as my sisters and I did too. I'm so proud of both of my moms for speaking up when in some ways, you know, they have more to lose than I do being in a different generation and being worried about um, their jobs and stuff like that with it too. It's been quite an odd space for me during the fight for marriage equality and throughout the making of Gaby Baby um, because one of the objectives of that film has been to push for marriage equality and that's one of the things we've been camping at, campaigning on for a long time but in our family behind the scenes um, my parents are very actively against marriage um, my mum probably boycotted a lot of weddings as as a, as a young uh, woman in her teens both of them probably did um, just generally don't believe in that institution um, given its history of um, using women and sort of anti-feminist history. And so I've had to make that decision that even though it's not really 
a right that is ingrained in me or in my family or really in any of our family friends. I mean, I'd never even been to a wedding before and I was fighting for this thing for our community. Wow. I, had to, I had to sit with myself and just go, um, it's not something that I want, it's not something that my, my parents want, but they should be able to if they did. Then when we released our film, it's probably good to, to share this story, we decided to release the film in schools across the country because it was a film about kids and we wanted the kids to see it first. And one of our Australia's major newspapers, the Daily Telegraph, ran, you know, got caught um, sight of this and ran a cover story citing gay class uproar. And commentators around the film were just outraged that schools would show a film that, you know, promoted a homosexual lifestyle um, and government ministers all the way up to our state premier and education minister responded by banning the film across all the state schools in New South Wales. Jeez. And wow. media went overdrive. Twitter around the whole country was trending for two days talking about the experiences of children and gay families. Um, protests were hurled. Different states started, like, putting their hands up and saying, oh, well, gay babies welcome in our state schools. And my favourite thing was in my local um, area, there was a fire brigade that put up sign, a sign that said, calm down and watch Gaby Baby. Um, you know, it was, it was really a national debate about this tiny, low-budget film. We opened in about 20 other cinemas after that had happened because everyone now knew about the film and wanted to see the film that was banned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that you know, the original um, trigger point for that was this idea of, our families being exposed to school students. Um, both of my mums are primary school teachers um, and have experienced all sorts of institutional um, discrimination throughout their work lives. And I think it too, like you, Kinsey, like just, you know, triggered a, a fight again um, and both of them ended up talking much more publicly about their personal lives, um, perhaps not by choice, I kind of threw them into the spotlight. Um, but it was a really interesting moment for our family and both my parents are now much more out of the closet at work. And it's been a really beautiful transformation, I think, um, from that kind of slight uh, uncertainty around marriage equality Um into an issue that absolutely, you know, we, we all agree on together. Both of you then, Baya, with the film Gaby Baby, and I know you've also then made uh, shorts, you know, or, or shorter videos around revisiting some of the people that had been featured in Gaby Baby. And then Kinsey, you've made short videos that are really focusing on the stories and experiences of people with LGBTQ parents as well. Why is it so important that those voices are what you wanted to focus on, the voices of people with LGBTQ parents. You know, it's interesting. When I first made the two videos that I have related to uh, LGBTQ families, one was called Sanctity, which was explicitly about trying to get marriage equality passed. And then the next one was called After I Do, which was about sort of the other issues that LGBTQ families face even once we have marriage equality, you know, there's, there's so many other things, um, so many other ways I think that we face discrimination. So those were the two videos. And originally I made these because I thought that 
sharing my family's story and letting people know who we are would automatically change people's opinion. I hoped I really did it for more external reasons, but I was kind of disappointed in some ways by how people could see my family and really see us as people and yet still not change their mind. And so at first that was a little bit discouraging, but I think what the videos did, which I could not have predicted, was they connected me to other families like mine. And, you know, even if it didn't always change people's opinions who didn't agree with me, it made people braver who did agree with me and it caused other people to reach out and it caused supporters to be more vocal. Absolutely. There's definitely in in campaigning a kind of saying like, don't sing to the choir. They already know what what they're doing but I think in all this work I've realized that the choir needs like feeding and they need their support and they're the ones that are going out to work and like on the front line of the battle and you know feeding the choir is absolutely sometimes the right way to do even thing to do um with um the activism work that we've done and with videos I think in Australia there was a huge Every, every, all the politicians were just kept telling us that children need a mother and a father and it was baffling to me that no one was asking the children what they thought. I was like, hey, like we've been around for like decades, like why don't you come and ask us instead of assuming our position? And so in Making Gaby Baby and a lot of the pieces after that, it was just about getting our voice into the mix um, so that people weren't just assuming that we were – this kind of future thing that like if we allow the the gays to marry then maybe they would have kids and would that be okay it was like hey mm-hmm. we're here I'd be mean, thank you both so much uh, I think people who are listening would really love to know what are you working on now and how could they possibly find some of your work online now I'm working on a project called lead for America so it's a new two-year fellowship in local government Um, that is helping recent graduates go into some of the highest need areas and really work in communities that are struggling to attract talent. And we're also working to diversify government. And so we um, kind of face every day the challenge of how do you put diverse people in rural communities um, that are really struggling, but where those people might not feel totally safe? How do you put them there in order to change those communities for the better? If you are interested in Lead for America or want to follow the work, you can find us on Facebook or LinkedIn, um, or our website is www.lead4america.org. If you're a college senior, definitely reach out and I can send you an application. Awesome. Amazing. I think my passion really lies in the intersection of documentary storytelling and social impact and campaigning. And I think those two things go very well together. So I'm currently working on a new feature documentary, which is set here in the desert with um, on the lands of Mbantua with the Indigenous Aranda people of Australia. And I've been following similarly um, a, a very unique, amazing, intelligent, witty young boy who's got a lot to teach Australia about our dark colonial past. So Gaby Baby is available on Netflix in the US. It's also available on iTunes and um, you can also go to thegabyproject.com where all of that information is there. There's also a whole schools kit and program which is for Australian curriculum but a lot of the lesson plans and outlines about how to make schools safe places and welcoming places for LGBTQ families is all on there. Well, thank you, Baya and Kinsey, so much for talking with me. 
Again, thank you for joining us today. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Outspoken Voices. You can find Outspoken Voices on our website, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Family Equality Council at familyequality.org and on Facebook and Instagram at Family Equality and on Twitter at Family underscore Equality. Until next time, remember that love, justice, family, and equality is what brings our families together.